shit. Last time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Hey, after you drop off the kids or put them to bed, turn on Childish with real life friends and podcasting virtuosos Greg Fitzsimmons and Allison Rosen. Laugh about the struggles and joys of parenthood. Grow closer to your children. Learn something useful or not. Maybe feel less alone. And maybe even put the spark back into your love life. Childish is for people who are parents or had parents. If you had no parents, maybe check out WTF with Mark Marin. Subscribe to Childish. New episodes coming soon wherever you listen to podcasts. Childish, oh shit. Last time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Childish, oh shit. How can I parent when I'm still a kid? Childish, oh shit. Allison Rosen. Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison. We'll have a good time. Hey everyone, hi, hello, welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here in the new, still unnamed podcast studios with still no permanent nickname producer Tony Thaxton. Hello. It's going to be disappointing when we actually settle on a nickname. Yeah, I'm fine with not having one. I've gone this long. I'm wondering if people are starting to think it's like a bit we're doing. It's not. We Mm. genuinely, like secretly I have a nickname for you, but I'm just keeping (laughs) this going. I think I also may have insulted the listeners on the last one. Just basically, I think we basically said they suck at nicknames. I think I insulted, I felt like I insulted them too. Because I feel like one of, like part of my thing is that I try to be nice. Uh, That actually makes me sound like a raging bitch. (laughs) A raging bitch who's like, I try to be nice. No, but part of my thing is that I'm not someone who's constantly insulting my listeners. But I just think they can do better with the nicknames. Yeah, I'm trying to be nice too. You're better at it than I am, but uh, come on, guys, step it up. Yeah, actually, no, don't. I'm fine. I don't need one. I would like. I wouldn't mind seeing just a little more effort. <laughs> just a little more. Well, that that's you know that's what it Allison's is. Opinion. I'm just we're just being very picky. Yeah, and when the right one comes along, we'll know it. And until then, you don't have a nickname. Well, you when, just don't. When you are the best, you expect the best. <laughs> That's definitely what I was driving at. We are sitting here with Matt Gorley, who uh, you're like Mr. Podcast. For better or for worse. Yeah, I don't know. I guess so. That's what people call me, but I, I have a hard time accepting that mantle. I don't know. I think it's you. I mean, but you're not just a podcaster. You're an actor. A producer, a musician, a designer, an owner of a fat cat, uh, just a few of the many podcasts that you are known for. The I Was There Too podcast, Super Ego, James Bonding, Pistol Shrimps Radio, Andy Daly Podcast Pilot Project. That one's fun to say. Uh, you're the on-air producer for Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. But it's not just podcasts, as I indicated before. Community, Adventure Time, Comedy Bang Bang, Blind Spot, Another Period, Drunk History, and evidently Eyes Wide Shut. Not true. Is that not true? <laughs> that's, uh, that's not true. Okay, well, we'll get into that. that, (laughs) Actually, you know what? 
we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I specifically wanted to talk to a, someone who, an uncredited cast member of Eyes Wide Shut, and apparently that's not who you are. That's how I ended up with that fake credit, is because I wanted to talk to somebody <laughs> from that. And just long story short, they I said, oh, I want to be that. And the person I was talking to for Dead Poets Society, for I was there too, had that credit. And I said, tell me about it. He goes, oh, my friends did it as a joke. And then listeners did it to me as a joke. Oh, okay. I'm sorry to say. I'm sorry for so many reasons that's not true. (laughs) So wait, this person that you... Okay, let's back up. Okay. So you're interviewing him for I Was There Too podcast. Yeah. And what was the pre- what is the premise the of premise that? The premise of that is that I talked to people who had small but maybe significant roles in classic films so they could kind of offer a different perspective. They didn't have to worry about being nice or even whatever. They could just tell the detailed mm-hmm. stories. So this was Kurt Leitner who was this wonderful guy and he was one of the boys in the classroom in Dead po- Poet Society chose not to stand on his desk at the end by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but he had the credit of uh, of masked party stud in Eyes Wide Shut. And so I'm like, I'm getting two for one here. This yeah. is exciting because both of those were people I wanted to talk to originally for the podcast. And he said, sorry to disappoint you. My friends did it as a joke. And then listeners did it to me as a joke. And so maybe they'll do it to you. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, please. How Has it elite club. positively or negatively impacted your life? Mm, I I haven't had any concrete results from it, but I do think there's a kind of like just a mojo walking around people be oh that's the masked part oh, that's <laughs> i could i yeah. could use that yeah you you should this is a call make allison's please imdb credit say masked party stud i love There'll it be three of us now that i know of that are not really masked party studs <laughs> but walking around as such i love it so i put out a call for questions for you on patreon and twitter and someone asked about that do you think that they know that it's not real like is that known I've I mean, by the person who did been, it, obviously. Anytime it comes up, I tell the truth. So I don't know if they've heard it or not. Okay. But I think if anybody looks at my IMDb and doesn't listen, they're not going to know. Right. But I also don't every episode go, hey, by the way, let me clear this up. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with letting the rumor out there a little bit. You know? Right. Or maybe it is true. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, be. if you remember, you weren't there. Yeah. Just I like know, the maybe 60s. Maybe I'm just embarrassed and not telling the truth. Could That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and uh, also, you have done a ton of work on your house. Oh, wait, and also you're a teacher. I feel like there's so many... It's, it's, it's impossible to encapsulate all that is Matt Gorley. But you're a teacher. Uh, you you dabble in Shakespeare or have. Um, you've done a lot of work on your house, yeah. which is very impressive. And I think I... Did I find you because I was searching pergolas? Oh, I mean, that's maybe. not... I found... I mean, I, you are on this podcast because Tony Thaxton speaks so highly of you that I you have... You got a lot to live up to. Well, I just <laughs> built a pergola. Yeah. But it was from a kit. I didn't build it, but uh, you, like they ship. I bought it from some like Amish company where all the instructions are just these two guys with neck beards with really dour looking things holding up posts. <laughs> and uh, it was great. But I love. Now, you're listing all these things I feel like I should mention. I'm just a dabbler in all these things. I'm okay. not like a, like a master of all trades kind of thing. So Are I you just sure? Yeah. You did your own wainscoting on your house. And yeah. now explain what that is to people who don't know what wainscoting is. <laughs> wainscoting is the like wooden half part of your wall. The, well, like the lower third usually. That In fact, I just love the look of it. And I started researching it when I was going to put it into my house. And apparently it was for like castles and stuff mm-hmm. because rock walls were so cold that they wanted some insulation or something for the parts you would walk by. That's the best explanation I could get for it. But for me, I was just, I just love the way it looks. Yeah. 
I just kind of, I studied scenic design as an undergrad. And so I was able to build things to last a few weeks. So this was a real test with a house to see if like, if I can make them last. And the verdict's still out. We'll see if it's been there four years, but so far, <laughs> right. so good. Um, I mean, I have to ask about the pergola because I know that that's something that my listeners care deeply about. They should. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they're interested in comedy. Uh-huh. They're interested in like <laughs> people's emotional struggles and they're interested in pergolas and various other things that provide shade for your backyard. But for real, we want to add a pergola because Burbank, well, you're in Pasadena. Yeah. Pasadena and Burbank are both really hot and bright. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I recommend it. And I don't know if you guys are looking to build it yourself, but I, I had a pretty good time with this one. It was pretty straightforward. Um, and you got it from a kit. Yeah. Western Red Cedar. Western That's Red Cedar. That's the kind of wood. Okay. And I pre-stained it because mm-hmm. I didn't want to stain it after the fact. But it was hard to not like immediately dive in and want to put it together. Right. So I had my wife help stain it, and then we popped it up. And I'm glad we did. And it was how long did this whole process take? <sighs> I think I stained it all over a day, but I don't think it took the full day. You just kind of lay everything out. And then the assembly I did in two days, but it didn't take two full days. I just didn't Hmm. have the time. So I'd say about a full day and a half to two days. My husband is pretty handy. Yeah, okay. I'm going to have to let him know that he's going to be putting in a pergola. Yeah, I'll send you the link to this Please do, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so I know you're from Whittier, right? Yes. Um, I'm from Orange. Is Whittier part of Orange County? I'm it's from like Orange the County. last city in Los Angeles County before you get to La Habra, which is Orange County. Okay. Where in Orange County are you from? I am from Corona Del Mar and oh. then Costa Mesa. Oh my God. Yeah. I was, well, I was all over Bray and then I'd go down to that South Coast Plaza Mall whenever I felt like really luxuriating. Right. You know, that was it's the place a, to be. It's a nice mall. Yeah. I, uh, I hung out a little more at Fashion Island. Oh, Do you yeah. you know Fashion oh, Island? Oh, yeah. Newport? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's more of an outdoor mall. Yeah. But you know, when it came time to uh, really seriously shop, like for a dance or something, um, then it's, I headed right to South Coast Plaza. Oh, yeah. Crystal Court or just the... so, Both. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Usually I would start at South Coast Plaza, but occasionally I'm trying to remember what was it. Oh, guess. Mm. There was a period of time where I was very into matching my jeans with my jean jacket. That's smart. So I would head to guess. Uh, also, they had a Ruby's there. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I've been to that Ruby's many times. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to remember what else Crystal Court had going for it. Some other stuff. Yeah, they had like a lot of home stores like Crate and Barrel and Pottery Barn yes. and things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I personally don't like shopping. You don't? No. No. And I think I went through a period of time where I'm like, I want to be like Mallory from Family Ties, which is a dated reference, but I, I feel like it. I was sort of like, maybe I was in search of a personality and I felt like I'm a teenage girl. I probably love shopping. I love shopping and talking on the phone and scrunchies. <laughs> so I'm going to go to Crystal Court. But now I have truly settled into the fact that I don't love shopping. I think I do like shopping, but it depends on what it is. I'm not, I don't love clothes shopping, but home type thing shopping. Mm. I don't know why I love that so much. Um, I read, maybe it was on apartment therapy. I don't know. I, I read something where your wife or you were saying that you're something about your, your home being too masculine. Yeah, that's right. So because I did a lot of the design and woodwork and stuff in there, it just kind of like, well, I don't think it looks too masculine. I think it just doesn't look overly feminine. But of course, I'm the man saying that. <laughs> My wife doesn't seem to have a problem with it, okay. but her mother does. And she brought over a really sparkly, big pink throw pillow. 
<laughs> and they did a kind of experiment of just placing it on the couch without telling me just to see how long it would last. And, and how long did it I last? I came home and put it in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds like that really would clash with the aesthetic yes, of your home. and that was more the reason. I'm not, I am in no way... Uh, object to the the feminine like we have some rooms that are very feminine like her the whole guest bedroom is super floral and mm-hmm. the kitchen's really light and airy so it's kind of goes room by room but the living room is kind of neutralish and that was just looked like a dead muppet <laughs> <laughs> so what was your childhood in whittier like it was pretty straightforward. I grew up as middle class as you could possibly grow up in a like 50s tracked home, kind of, you know, like Back to the Future style, stucco, mm. three bedroom small home. The bedrooms were probably like almost the size of this little podcast cabin. And then um, I had a sister and it was like regular old public school. And then at one point, and then I ended up going to the rich people high school, but mm. we were, were not rich. And so that was an experiment and an experience. Like, what was that of, like? Um, it was interesting. I don't think I knew what it was like until later when I went to college and realized, oh, those people are ee, sometimes, you know, <laughs> not not the people that were my close friends, but there was a lot of that kind of entitlement and stuff there, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize it till later because when you're in it and you don't know better, I think it was something like I thought I'm supposed to aspire to this. Like you wanted to go shopping, like. <laughs> It wasn't until I kind of like found a sense of self that went, oh, I don't want, I don't want that right. that kind of attitude. They were strange people, right? Know? And was that just a, a like zoning thing that you ended up there? I think so. Yeah, I lived in a weird zone right by a mall, and so both my high school and my middle school were nowhere near my house. I, I had for middle school, I had a middle two middle schools closer to me than the one I went to, and I don't know what the deal there mm-hmm. was, but you know, a matador for life, I guess. Granada matadors. That was my middle school. I mean, the, the the pride that's just oozing I know. high school or middle school pride. <laughs> I could have been a Hillview Husky, I think, is cooler than a Matador. Yeah. I don't know. Matadors don't hold up well today. No. 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 Um, but I will say it did take me a second. There was a lag time between the sound of the word Matador, like, oh, yeah, that's cool, and then thinking what a Matador actually is. Yeah, me too. In fact, I'm just questioning a lot of my past even right now i never even thought about what a matador is until i just said it too because i also too was like a matador that sounds cool cool. yeah um was the uh was there like an emblem of a guy holding a yeah Uh thing that a bolt what is it a cape yeah like yeah i guess it's his cape right yeah Yeah. he's a bull killer we were the granada bull killers (laughs) yeah that's fucked up i know Uh, wait do they they don't kill them do they Well, they they do because they put those little sword pins in them and kill them over the over the course of the whole bullfight unless they get killed first right and then i feel like it probably doesn't end up well for the bull anyway no i bet you're right yeah Yeah. Mm. i didn't realize now i have to always issue this uh request disclaimer whenever we talk about awful animal things i am going to talk about uh pocket of ignorance i have please don't fill it with information i I don't want to feel bad (laughs) i love that (laughs) uh i was unaware that bullfight for a long time i was unaware that bullfighting involved slowly stabbing the bull and like i I didn't i just didn't know all all the gory details of it my only exposure to bullfighting was bugs bunny cartoons and for me it was like ferdinand the bull yeah yeah do you tony do you know ferdinand the bull i know of it, but I couldn't okay. tell you anything beyond that name. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I was I was young for it, and you're younger than I am. Yeah. But not that bit. much younger than I am. But I think of you as way younger than I am, and that's a compliment. It's very kind of you. Yeah. Um, okay. So, 
And okay, so you went to high school with a bunch of rich kids, but you didn't realize the significance of that till later. No, and what's what was something else that I didn't think odd at the time was that one quarter of the entire high school was bust in Hispanic students called <clears throat> Expanded Horizons. And everything was sort of like segregated. It was crazy. They had their own prom and homecoming. That's weird. They, we, you could go to either one of them if you wanted to, but nobody did. And it was just kind of an unspoken, strange segregation. You never had any classes together because English was their second language, except all the rich kids played sports. I didn't play sports, so I took PE. And then I had a class with all of them. We all like mixed in, PD, in PE. And we, I learned Spanish, and I learned specifically Spanish curse words first because <laughs> they would just like curse me out at first, but like in a joking way, like he doesn't know English, like, hey, you know puta madre and i would just start like saying it back to them Mm -hmm. and then we really hit it off and became good friends without ever really speaking each other's language but i miss those guys a lot (laughs) and then my high school was really strange too where we had a thing called friendliest freshman which was like a homecoming for freshmen and if you were chosen at the dance that night in front of most of the school you had to the girl and the guy that were chosen had to French kiss and beat the record from the year before on stage in front of the whole school. <laughs> That's crazy. I somehow was chosen and I had to make out with Santina Tarasi in front of the whole school. And it was awful. Our school also had a smoking section. <laughs> Wait, did you say it was awful? Well, or was, awesome. Well, I guess it was, <laughs> it was mostly awful because also her mom came up to me and was like, you will not kiss my daughter. And I'm like, what do you do? I'm on stage. You know, the, this crowd's expecting this. <laughs> right. It's crazy. Yeah. Did you beat the record? No. Then they said, all right. Like they had this, the school had a, like a crisis of conscience and went, okay, you only have to do it for 60 seconds. <laughs> <Hopefully>. <laughs> You're a freshman? Yeah. That feels racy. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I'm surprised no parents complain. I mean, I'm surprised that her mom just complained to you, not the school. I know. Like, I had any way to, to... Yeah, why wouldn't she complain to the school? Me, like, I couldn't do anything about it already. I was dealing with enough with this thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, wow. Wait, what is that? What, what well, do you mean? Well, just like the... F- having to French kiss in front of all yeah. your peers at, at, what are you, 15? Yeah. 14 or 15, 14 yeah. or 15? That's an immense pressure. For, and right. I was five feet tall. I was a tiny guy. You when know? did you? Because you're not you're you're uh, you're tall now. Yeah, I I grew about a foot in a year. My junior to senior year, I really stretched out. Mm. But I was just the little guy in high school for so many years. Then, I, see, I was a late bloomer. Yeah. So as much as I wanted to be on stage, French kissing people, yeah. I wasn't yeah. as a freshman. Were you? I mean, you were, but in general, were you a late bloomer? Yeah, I was. I've been a late bloomer in every way, and I always just looked at myself because I'd have a lot of friends and a lot of girlfriends, but I always assumed they were just like, "Oh, you're like my little brother." Mm. I never, ever assumed that it was kind of ever a romantic thing. And then when I grew, that started to happen. But I still was in the mindset of like, "Oh, you, you no, 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 we're, we're friends." You just think we're friends. So I was very shy. I mean, I still carries over to me. I'm never, I don't think I've ever been forward in that sense because I just assume that the people wanted to be my like sibling or something. Mm-hmm. And what do your parents do? <laughs> my mom, uh, my dad was as a businessman, like a manager for the Southern California Gas Company and a geologist. My mom was an artist, but then with my stepdad, opened up a Conroy's Flowers right there on Imperial in Brea, California. There you go. Yeah. Um, where'd you go to college? Cal State Long Beach. And you studied? Scenic design, undergrad, and then I did my master's there, and I did acting and directing for mm-hmm. my master's. What made you decide to get a master's? 
the fact that they were going to let me come in a year early before I finished my bachelor's and do some teaching and like I could afford to pay my tuition with the money I made from teaching. And I just thought like, I've got nothing to lose to overlap a year. And by then I was just, I was pretty complacent as a young guy. I wasn't ready to get into the real world. I liked teaching. So I just stayed the other two years and finished out my master's. So that's really cool. You were teaching before you graduated undergrad? I was illegally. Illegally. (laughs) Yes. So when you, they had this repertory company called Cal Rep that was the grad students got to do all these plays and, and it was a small grad student program. I think there was like maybe eight or 10 of us as actors in it. And you got to teach class. That was the whole deal. So you could get paid. And I was not graduated with my bachelor's yet. So I taught under the dean's name, the chair of the department's name, and they somehow paid me illegally. I never asked. It was a real shady place because also he was a playwright and forced two to three plays of his own in a season. Then he got caught for plagiarizing Calvin and Hobbes in one of his play. <laughs> he p- literally plagiarized a whole strip of Calvin and Hobbes and changed the names. Oh my god! We found it, and and he and someone had, was that familiar with Calvin and Hobbes that they were like, "Wait a minute." We were at a bookstore, my buddy and I, and he was in the program, and he was just reading through it, and he, I just hear this. Fuck me. Oh, my God. Because we were currently in the play that he had told, taken the script from. and uh, But that didn't do anything to him. And then a couple more plagiarism things came out. And eventually he got ran off. And I think he teaches in China now. That's a true story. <laughs> it's a cra- and he called it the Yale of the West Coast acting program. It was the farthest thing. From that. It was a real – I don't know. There were some nice people and teachers. But, man, it was a real uh, – you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of thing. It was strange. Yeah. I need to tell you guys about Canvas On Demand. Uh, Canvas On Demand makes these great, you, you can have your photos printed on Canvas. So it turns your photos into works of art. Uh, at canvasondemand.com, you can transform your photos into stunning Canvas wall art displays for your home or to give as a gift. Always affordable and only using the highest quality materials and inks. Ordering takes only a couple of minutes and you can upload your photo directly from your phone. With a warp resistant sealed back and pre-installed hanging hardware, your canvas is ready to hang within seconds of arrival. Don't let those favorite moments stay hidden on your phone or camera. Join over 1.3 million customers who use canvasondemand.com to bring the story home again and again. Ready to fill your walls with your favorite memories? We did. We uh, we printed out two uh, photos from our wedding and two of our dogs. And now that we have, uh, have human babies... <laughs> It's time. <laughs> yeah, I gotta make it. I gotta make it clear. Yeah, yeah. Which kind of babies I'm talking about? The, the kids. Yeah, and the kids. Uh, they might get a little jealous eventually. That's right. Of, where's That's my right. picture? Where and my picture? <clears throat> I have the cutest photos of uh, of Elliot in the bath. He put all his toys in the bathtub with him. Uh-huh. Um, so I it's usually just do like, that myself. <laughs> yes, it's just a sea of toys. So I'm gonna get that one on a canvas. Create your own 16 by 20 canvas print for just 19.99 today at canvasondemand.com/slash/bestfriend. And did you want to do serious acting? Um, I, I think I definitely ha- I lean toward comedy, though. In, in school, I would do fairly serious plays from time to time. Um, Featuring Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a toss of the coin whether I really enjoyed it or not. I still don't know myself sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I still feel that with acting sometimes. Sometimes I love it. It was the first thing I wanted to do like in school. But... Right now, I don't know that I like the business very much of it. So I, hmm. podcasting is kind of, in a weird way, satisfied 
the creative element, but also you don't have to kind of answer to too many people. Right. Can you say more about your qualms about the business now? And no, you, you go and then I'll go. Okay. I've mapped out how we're going to do this. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's just, I guess it's also something to do with development and, you know, this podcast I have super ago, we've run through the development ringer many times and it's developing it into a television show. Yeah. And there's so many arbitrary little changes that people want to make. And I don't say that in a way like I, I, I realize that that can come across as like, oh, you're taking my baby and changing my baby. Mm. It's not that type of thing. It's just, I don't think, I don't think it comes, okay. I don't hear it that way. Okay. I do. But you do. <laughs> <laughs> There's just like a lot of for years we've been bringing in this super ego and it's sketch and there's like no you can't do sketch sketch you got to make a narrative nobody does sketch then uh, I think you should leave comes along and everybody's like it's got to be sketch it's got to be sketch it's like when Lost came out everything's got to be a mystery for eight seasons you know there's no I've found very rare instances of like original thinking or willing to push outside and mm-hmm. so that's why i think when podcasts came along it was so nice because there's literally no one to answer to you just do your thing and then either people listen or they don't which that i can deal with i could totally care less really if people listen as long as you can kind of just do your own fun thing and it's not a hugely principled thing it's just it's just a waste of time mm-hmm. you know so and yeah i say that and then we're right in the thick of it again with the super ego thing but i think we found some people that fully understand so how many we'll times oh so uh i imagine my listeners are familiar with super ego but can you get tell them the premise of that and also i'm i'm remembering that i met you yeah. at tamashanter yeah yes recently with Paul. yes Paul. i was hugely pregnant at the time yes i think so yeah. it was around the holidays yeah um and i think that place has wainscoting it certainly does yeah yeah beautiful wainscoting. so that show has been around since like 2006 it's a long time. I know. We've taken a lot of time off in between, but it's just like improvised character sketches all under the guise of like a uh, clinical psychologist presenting these strange case study people. So mm-hmm. it's very loosely tied together sketch. And you co-created it. Yeah. With Jeremy Carter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we improvise really loosely and then edit really tightly and then put like produce it with sound effects and all that stuff. So it comes together sounding like we meant to do a lot of this stuff, but we really didn't. And now it, you guys are just doing live shows, right? Yeah. But although we're, we're recording a new season right now, Okay, but it, we did a, a second, a fifth season last year for Stitcher and then we're working on one now. Yeah. Shorter and ones. sorry, what, shorter which? ones. Yeah. How many times have you guys been through the development ringer with it? Mm, four or five, I guess. And is that people coming to you or is that you guys pitching it? It's almost always people coming to us because one thing, one trait we all share with the exception of Paul F. Tompkins is a real lack of ambition for um, like success and fame. We have a really strong ambition for creating things and doing things, but we are the worst self-promoters. I hate promoting things on social media or like going after things. And so luckily we've had some people come along and we, we like that because usually they're coming because they want what we already have. Mm -hmm. But by the time we take it to a studio or a network or something, then they're like, no, you know? And are you guys all on the same page regarding being sort of disenchanted with people always wanting to change things? Generally. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I think so. I think so. I mean, I'm probably more, the most in that end and it's not a disenchantment as much as just i'm happy the way it is so if these things happen great but i'm i think we're not afraid to say like we don't need to do it this way Mm -hmm. but i think jeremy's more on the side of let's go let's go let's go but we you know so in that way we work well together but you feel like maybe you found the right 
I think so. Home. We found the right development team. They seem to really understand it now, whether the rest of the, the you know, the industry will. That's a whole nother question. Tony, you yeah. know Matt well. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I mean, not crazy well, but pretty well. Yeah. Well, better than I do. Sure. As of right now, we'll <laughs> check in again on that one at right, the end of this right. podcast. Does he strike you as someone who doesn't seem to want fame or go for things the way he just described himself? And I realize I may have just put words in your mouth, but <laughs> that's fair. I think the way he described himself is that how he seems to you? Uh, I don't know that I ever thought about it that way, but I don't. It's I don't know how to answer that. Because, I don't myself know how to answer. Yeah. Well, you, I, I feel because like you, you do must so be ambitious, many things. right? I, like I said, I'm ambitious creatively. I've, I always like to have my hands in something. But I'm a, like reclusive slightly socially and networky. I cannot yeah. network. I think you I, and yeah. I are very similar yeah. in those ways. Yeah. yeah. And I did it actively. I'm actively bad at it. I don't <laughs> like it. And so... I, I love my friends, but if it ever has a feeling of like you got to climb a little bit or that's mm-hmm. expected or there are other people climbing at a party or something like that, I don't know how to do it. You know, I don't know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting because you seem so connected and involved in so many things that it's surprising to hear that you, um, you're describing yourself kind of as like shy social anxiety a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I and more so the, the more I live. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where that came from. When I was younger and in college, I was so extroverted and I almost, I say it jokingly, but I almost think I out carpe diemed myself. Like I went <laughs> skydiving and I did all these things of like, gotta live life. And I think I was living in a bit of a diluted bubble of like, life is great. Let's, you know, jump in this fountain, all these stupid, stupid life living things. And I think I got p- kind of burnt out on it and realized that's the small joys that I really care about. Yeah. Why were you pushing yourself to do all of that? Good question. Dead Poets Society? I mean, honestly, <laughs> that movie really changed my young life and thought I had to be living that way. But I had no, like, I had nothing that I knew of that I was running from. I had a fairly decent childhood, but yeah, it was, I don't know. But I have really reversed myself to Mm -hmm. the point of, like, I have a small group of friends and and see them fairly regularly, but parties are rough. Yeah, I get social anxiety. Yeah. Have you experienced trauma? I have, yeah, I, I, it seems silly, but I had. Uh, a babysitter make me watch Halloween with the lights off when I was about five or six and then didn't sleep for the rest of my life very well. I still don't. And because it just led to a like compounding nightmares that then unfolded over time and led then like earthquakes and the threat of nuclear war all wrapped up into that. And then I bet those three things are probably tied to something else like parents divorcing or something. But I mean, I've done therapy. I haven't ever been able to get to the core of why I can't sleep very well, but I think it's the movie. But yet you love that movie. I know. It's a morbid, horrible fascination. Oh, right. Because you and Paul do in Voorhees We Trust. Yeah. And then Halloween was the movie, but we're about to do a series on Halloween. So I know. And yet I've watched it. What's that? I'm not a horror movie guy, but I love Halloween. I know. it's so. That's the other problem is it's so good, that Mm -hmm. movie. Yeah. It's it's horrible to fear something that's so good, but you also want to see. And I didn't watch it as a kid forever until I was a young adult. And then... 
watched it and I'm like, where, where's all these other parts I remember? And they were all nightmares that I conflated. Oh, with that's the film. so interesting. Yeah. And horrible, gross things too, that just your mind plays tricks on you. I've never seen The Shining. That's a really, really harrowing movie. Yeah. I've also never seen any, like any other horror movie, but oh. I just bring up that one because I know that that's such a good movie. It is such a good movie too. Yeah. yeah on top of being a good horror movie. Yeah. Yeah, I probably won't. I probably won't be. I probably won't be seen. I can't handle horror movies. Um, this babysitter. What? What was her deal? Why did she do that? That seems like a bad thing. To I do. know. And she was a one-time like substitute babysitter. Like we had maybe her two or three times over our childhood. Our regular babysitter never would have done that. She was amazing. And this girl lived up the street. And my sister was complicit in it too. Oh, she really? Was like, well, I want to watch it. And she was an older. They probably sister. just wanted to watch it. They did, but the, all the lights were turned out in the house, so I was too afraid to go alone into the rest of the house to not see the movie. So I actually sat in the doorway <laughs> where I could see them, but not the movie. So I heard a lot of the movie, and so I hadn't really seen the movie fully till I was an adult but it was so wrapped up in my psyche or something that's how I experienced The Exorcist oh really I was a little bit older I was 12 or 13 but um, it was my friend Katie's slumber party birthday and she had an October birthday so it was around Halloween so we all watched it even though I was like very much did not want to watch it and I just hid under a blanket with another girl who was scared so I only heard it but that still was horrifying and then i remember barely sleeping that night and not knowing do i want my sleeping bag to be close to the sliding glass door to the outside and then i'm vulnerable to all the scary things outside or close to the interior of the room which is near the staircase and then people can attack me like i and then i really couldn't sleep for a long time after that. That's that was my kind of, version of your thing. That's the thought process I'd go through because I had the front room in the house and there was a window that was just right there on the porch and it like the light was on. It would just cast shadows. And I've told this story before, but the same thing happened to me with the movie Used Cars and I got snow blindness and I couldn't see it, but we all watched it and I'd only heard the movie for years and then I finally saw it like 20 years later and went, oh, that's what it looks like. <laughs> I recommend it. Just try listening to a movie, then store it away for 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you still don't sleep well? Not very well, no. What is your, what's it like? I don't really have like insomnia where I can't sleep. I can fall asleep. In fact, I fall asleep all the time on the couch in movies, but I, I like wake up every 20 minutes specifically, I think from when I was a kid of like making sure I was safe. Cause my mom would sit with me to help me fall asleep. And then I know she'd go to bed. So I'd kind of train myself to wake up and, so I just wake up all night long. Yeah. And then, uh, Are you tired all the time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine you've sought various treatments for this, right? Yeah, I've gone to two sleep studies. I've Oh, what do they say? Not they one said you're like right under the like apnea level. Mm. But not enough that we can do anything about it. And then the first <laughs> one was like, "No, you're fine." I know. I don't Did they notice that you did they were they like, yeah, you are waking up three times an hour? Yeah, but they were like, it's nothing, there's nothing we can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know, I just, I don't know quite, I I live with it now. I don't even think about it that much. Yeah. Have you tried various sleeping pills and things like that? Yeah, I've tried pretty much everything. Tylenol PM, of all things, works the best for me because it makes me less uh, droggy, drowsy, (laughs) droggy, 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 and drowsy. All of those. Yeah. 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 Uh, I used to have terrible insomnia, um, and I'm still a very light sleeper, but I also was someone who's like, 
I can drink coffee all day long and it doesn't affect me. And also, I'm, I don't sleep and I never put them together. <laughs> the simplest connection. I know. <laughs> and then uh, when I was pregnant, I cut back on the coffee. I had to cut back yeah. on the coffee a ton. And I realized, oh, I am sleeping better. And also, I recommend pregnancy for you. Really? You sleep, you'll sleep well uh, until I the end. I would do it. Oh, God. <laughs> I would, and my wife and I always talk about this, that I would carry the baby if we could. Because <laughs> I think she still has some work she wants to do. But we both want kids. And I would be so happy to have a reason to be a stay-at-home dad mm-hmm. and carry, build a child in my body. I mean, <laughs> I'm supremely jealous of that. That's incredible to me. Yeah. I wish there was a way. I've seen it in a couple of movies. But. <laughs> I don't. Th- yeah, I don't think we're there yet. No. But what? But one day, <sighs> Tony. Did you know that Matt does not sleep well? Uh, I do remember. I think. Uh, I think you were going to do the sleep study. One of the. Uh, so the, yeah. when uh, I saw you around Christmas time, I think. yeah. Because yeah. Matt, I don't know if you know this, but uh, for the last. Three years, at least I think. three. Oh yeah. Uh, Matt would come on uh, my Christmas podcast, Felice Navi Pod, and he would take Todd and I Christmas tree shopping every year. Because right. Matt found out that I hated, or well, not hated, but I never, even though I love Christmas, I never had a uh, real tree. I was fine. I'm fine with a fake tree, and this appalled him because yeah. he's a fellow Christmas lover. So he insisted on having me get a real tree. So that's turned into a tr- yearly tradition now. It's one of my favorite things. And uh, have you found that your Christmas is more cheerful because of it? I'll answer that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he has. Uh, Unequivocally. Yeah. (laughs) I I also have a fake tree. (sighs) Looks like we got a new episode of Police (laughs) Navipod coming up this year. And I also love Christmas. Does it help that it's a Balsam Hill one, which means I overpaid for it? (laughs) Yes. I I appreciate that. So last year we got Todd, his partner on the podcast, yeah. a real tree. So I was going to be traveling. But too it much. sounds like this year we're bringing a tree to Allison. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I'll answer that. Yes, right. yes. I'm pro real tree. The reason I'm trying to remember. So the last time we had a real tree, because I I used to be I used to be like you, Matt. <laughs> I uh, turned my nose up down. I don't know. My nose was not level when I found out about fake trees. I felt mm-hmm. like that's it's, it's ersatz and it's dumb and I don't like it. Uh, and then we lived uh, in an apartment that was up a flight of stairs and getting the tree in and out was such a pain and also sort of painful with mm-hmm. all the needles and stuff. And then we had a dog and then we had a kid and it just like seemed I problematic. That, but I did come in through your house and you're looking like you got a prime I know we do. For, so I think this year is the time to get back. Oh yeah, you've got that nice yeah. window. Right yeah. There. I know. Yeah, yeah. But for that reason, we bought an even bigger fake tree <laughs> and now well, we have two fake you'll trees always and that's even better you can put one out here for the podcast oh that's right the, yeah. i didn't think about that we can make the podcast cabin which i love that name for this yeah. we can make it uh, christmasy i mean did you stumble cabin? across a name for the studio <gasps> i think you might have <laughs> captain faxton come on this is oh this captain is your Fax- little like Fax- podcast cabin in the woods and you put a little tree out here put a little snow on the eaves Ooh, come on I do love that. Yeah. Yeah. I do love that. 
Allison Rosen is your new best friend is brought to you in part by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit, get easy seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door. All you have to do is cook and enjoy. HelloFresh makes cooking delicious meals at home a reality regardless of your comfort in the kitchen. From step-by-step recipes to pre-measured ingredients, you'll have everything you need to get a wow-worthy dinner on the table in just about 30 minutes. Say goodbye to endless grocery store trips and takeout food. HelloFresh has you covered. Um, I love HelloFresh. I love this. They give you everything you need to make a delicious meal and you don't have to do the thing where you're like, I feel adventurous or I just, whether you feel adventurous, like I just feel like eating, I feel like eating something I can feel good about. I'm going to look up a recipe. Okay. This calls for a bunch of things I don't have. I guess I'll go to the store. And in my experience, that whole thing, then you get home and you're too tired to cook. That is exhausting. HelloFresh allows you to cook and also have energy because it's everything you need. It's right there. And it's really uh, like creative, delicious recipes. Keep the recipe cards. They send you a recipe card on nice paper. Keep that. You're, you're going to want to make it again and again. Make deliciousness part of your every week. Break out of your dinner rut with HelloFresh's 20 plus seasonal chef curated recipes each week. There's something for everyone from family recipes to calorie smart and vegetarian and fun menu series like Hall of Fame and Kraft Burgers. HelloFresh has more five-star recipes than any other meal kit so you know you'll get something delicious uh, and it's flexible and it fits your lifestyle. For $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash bestfriend80 and enter bestfriend80. It's like receiving eight meals for free. For $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash bestfriend80 and enter bestfriend80. When did you uh, d- discover comedy? Um, As someone like doing comedy or just as something I loved? You, well, that's a good question. Let me answer my own question. Okay, I'll let you answer it. <laughs> well, when I was a kid, I used to do a lot of actually like I call it proto-podcasting where I'd put a tape, blank tape in and then like improvise newscasts and stuff. But then when I got to high school, I learned improv and uh, comedy sports and stuff like that. And in so, high school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was right when it had started. And so I started a comedy sports team at my high school and we would do like improv shows with other high schools and kind of got like into that world. And then there's a professional comedy sports show in Hollywood. And after I had, I remember the director said, we'd like to put you in the show, but have you grown any? <laughs> I said, yes, I've, <laughs> I, I've grown about a foot. And like, great. We'll come do the show. And then that's how I got started in it. And that's where I met Jeremy and Mark from super ego. And then kind of how our whole world connected with the rest of the, the if you hadn't world. grown, they weren't going to let you in. I think so. Because I not only was I short, it wasn't a short thing. It's just I looked like a little kid. I just looked so young, and and I don't know something about stretching out, and and I guess I could you know like grow a goatee back then too. So <laughs> that, I think I did just to help myself along. Um, just to quickly go back to something yeah. before. So when what was your parents' divorce like for you? It was okay. I was pretty young, so I don't think I processed it intellectually. I'm sure there were some emotional problems, but they were so good to each other. They never fought. I think they just kind of had a bit of a loveless marriage. Mm. So when they divorced, they never went to court. My dad just moved five minutes away. I saw him all the time. And if anything, his relationship with me got way better because he became kind of a quality dad as before he was kind of a workaholic and tired. And then all our time together was quality time. I'm sure there's more trauma than I know, but I've never fully 
my sister had a hard time with it because mm-hmm. she's she younger? older. Oh, older. She was older, oh, so right. she knew more what was happening, and I, I don't think I did. And there were some, you know, weird years where like my mom was dating again, and you're kind of like, what, what is this? How do I process this? And not knowing my dad was my dad anymore, I made that mistake, you know, where he came over one time. I'm like, you're not my dad anymore, because uh, no one really told me what the hell a divorce was, so mm-hmm. I just assumed like. He got undadded. Yeah, which is so horrible. I have such regret for saying that, you know. Yeah. You have to let yourself off the hook for that one. This was last week. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I changed my mind then. Um, But you mentioned that you've been to therapy before. Yeah. Yeah, a few times. Yeah. Couples therapy too, which I I think is what my wife calls the marriage tax. And (laughs) and if we're not like having an issue or anything, it's so good to just keep yourself sustained and, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've found it pretty valuable i don't go full-time but phases you know that kind of thing do you find yourself getting defensive at all in therapy uh in couples therapy yeah. i've never oh yeah yeah how does it go oh both of us in fact that's the one thing our therapist is like i'm not quite sure wh- why you guys are so defensive with each other and we are not in real life with other people we're actually pretty conciliatory i think but mm-hmm. with each other Someone will say just some observation and both of us will take it as a like, I never did that. You know, <laughs> we value each other's opinions too much. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So we get pretty defensive. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, we've never, my husband and I have never done couples counseling. We talk about it all the time. It's like, <laughs> I don't think I've ever said this out loud. Even on, I remember on our honeymoon, I think he was like, we should do that sometime. But I mean, not, not in a like, yeah. like, wouldn't that be great one time? It was like, regarding this issue, we should talk to someone about that. And I was like, I agree. Yeah. Um, but we've, ne- yeah, we've never done it, but we always talk about doing it. But then I had someone on the podcast recently who had gone through a divorce and he was like, I think that couples counseling is, um, always leads to divorce. And I was like, oh, what? Well, maybe I won't do it then. For him, it did. I think for oh. him, it, by the time that they had made the decision to do it, it was already kind of over. And he felt like that was maybe like the, not the last nail in the coffin, but like just sort of flushed out that feeling. Yeah, and yeah. it gave them a safe space to like right. work through their divorce. Oh, right. Um, but a little bit, I was like, is that true? But now you have made me feel like that's not true. So I, do I don't think, think so. I don't think I should do it. I mean, maybe if, yeah, if you're really, you've never dealt with anything and you, you've kind of, maybe the marriage didn't have a good foundation from the beginning. Amanda and I have been doing it for years off and on and we fight a lot, but we're really close. And mm-hmm. We're really, probably because we both now work from home and we're both kind of reclusive. So, but we're tight as can be. And I think this is just a way to, make sense of our lifestyle you know we're, there's no question we're going to get on each other's nerves we're not going to get on each other's nerves so we just have to use therapy as a way to kind of grease those plates those like it's like earthquake plates you know we got to sometimes we just got to relieve the tension and, right. and we do yeah but right. there's never like it we've never unearthed anything horrible it's always dealing with the little surface things i think or yeah. you know issues definitely but they're just it's like it's like therapy. I mean, like physical therapy. Like we're massaging it and keeping it better till the next time, and trying to work on, on it long term. But we have to go back to keep it going. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And but you said that you guys fight a lot. We, not a lot, but not. I wouldn't say we fight a lot, but we do fight. And when we fight, there's. You know, she's, <laughs> Amanda has a real temper and I hold a real grudge. So oh. it's a it's a strange mix. We're down to once a month now. 
like maintenance therapy. <laughs> we've, we've tackled a lot and I think pretty successfully actually, because we really don't fight much anymore. Mm-hmm. But when we do, man, <laughs> oh boy. Is it like silent treatment type fighting? I'm more of the silent treatment type. She's more like go nuclear. Okay. So that our styles of fighting don't mix well. I think that mm-hmm. was actually the big problem is that we were fighting over minor things, but our styles of fighting were such a shock to both of mm-hmm. our systems <laughs> that it just it really made things worse. It's our fighting. Our fighting is our issue. Our fighting style. <laughs> it's not the things we're fighting about are ridiculously laughable. Most of the time, right? Any other couple would have no issue with them, but the way that we react to each other really pisses off the other person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense though. I mean, communication is often yeah. where friction comes from. Yeah. Uh, what, and what is your style? My style is pretty heady and intellectual and like, whoa, let's just stop and like, no, this happened, this happened and I'll take it through the steps and probably get too like litigious with it, mm-hmm. you know? And she's very emotional and will be like, I don't care what the steps are, you know, like, don't make me feel that way mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and whatever the case may be. But yeah, she'll flare up and I'll back off and hibernate and like go, go off. And then that like makes her feel even worse. And then when she flares up, it makes me retreat even more. Mm-hmm. So it is a style we've had to work on to just like take a breath, regroup, and then come back together and talk it out. How'd you guys meet? We met doing improv comedy at Universal Studios as like this like atmosphere atmosphere performers on a British street where we would just up in a balcony yelling things down at the guests as like British people. It's the strangest <laughs> thing. This was years ago, but I I had come out of a relationship not too long ago and I was like, oh, my friends are doing this job. This is a good way. I'll just do this because I want to be social again. I kind of gotten reclusive. I can mm. get I can like hibernate. And so I thought, I'll go do this. It'll be with my friends. It'd be nice to meet some new people. So I went and I did it and met her and then immediately quit. And then <laughs> we've been together ever since. How did, you, how, did, um, how did you start working with Conan? And what are your duties on Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend? I, I work as a consultant for Earwolf Network as like a podcast developer and consultant. So they just kind of like I talk to the people that work on the shows and and they'll run show ideas by me i'll give some notes on things and then i was at the london podcast festival doing super ego and i got off the plane and colin at airwolf was like i think we're gonna put you on conan do you want to do that and i'm like what do you mean he has a podcast this was before anything and i said well i'll be happy to yeah put me where you need to put me meaning like i thought i'd just listen to it a few times (laughs) and then they kept like revealing more and more duties to the point where like they had it in mind that i was going to be the full-time producer but didn't tell me and i think they were smart to do it because it probably would have scared me Uh at first so it just came in stages to the point where like i was developing the show and helping build it and then i'm like okay so you're the producer let's negotiate that (laughs) and i was like wow okay and uh, that's that's how that happened. And then I was just the, the you know off mic producer, and then slowly but surely ended up kind of because Conan just uses his environment a lot, and so he he brought me in. I was doing one. What thing does of, that What does that mean? Uses oh, you mean the like people refer- around him? Yeah, yeah. So he's he uses anybody that's in the room usually, and uh, and then we develop this contentious relationship. <laughs> that we have now. Yeah. How real is that? I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure from his perspective. I'm not entirely sure from my perspective. The joke is that we'd be friends, but I, there is some weird competition thing that I don't understand. 
And there are times when it's the most fun thing in the world. And there are times where I'm like, wait, are you serious right now? <laughs> like, what is happening? That being said, it's a blast, you know, and, but it keeps me guessing. That's for sure. Um, on the episode with Kamal Nanjiani, he was talking about how he's a real perfectionist. What, what has been your experience of that? Yeah, he's, I've never met anybody as driven as him. He's the exact opposite in that sense of me. Like mm-hmm. we got off the plane from the Michelle Obama or we got on the plane from the Michelle Obama interview and he's like, okay, how do we top that? You know? And I was like, wow, <laughs> are you kidding? Take a breath. Like, yeah. What you, first of all, you don't, that was amazing. She's amazing. Second of all, you can rest on your laurels a little bit. And I, I say this note with no disparagement. He's just immediately onto the next thing. He says it himself. I think he has a hard time enjoying his successes mm-hmm. without thinking of what's the next like uh, rung of the ladder. And uh, that is so opposite of me. Whenever I achieve something, the first thought I have is I bought myself some time. I know just, what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To just like relax. I won't feel guilty about checking out. I'm all, in fact, I think my ambition is driven so as to buy time to allow me to back off. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So we are so much the opposite in that sense. I'm going to ask a, qu- a, a question that seems uh, like it's out of nowhere and then I'll explain why I'm asking it. Love it. Do you need uh external approval um i I guess in some ways sure in other ways no i I think i definitely need approval from my wife because she's the person closest to me and the person i value the most and friends i feel like my friends are my friends because i love their opinions and outlooks so there are times when i would do things that I need, yeah, I definitely need it because I know that their approval means it's working mm-hmm. from the general public at large. Not at all. I, yeah. At any point in your life, did you, I think when I was younger, I, I wanted that. Well, I mean, yeah, you're doing a play or something and you want the approval of the audience. Cause that again, it means you're successful. But as far as no, I, I have real mixed feelings about the world now and, and like, we do these podcasts and most of the feedback we get is through social media and Mm -hmm. stuff. And, and so I, I try to take major breaks from that. I don't look at message boards or anything anymore. And it wasn't because things were bad, but I started seeing how it was shifting the work I was doing. And I'd rather do it unfiltered. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes. Yes. I feel like that is the really insidious aspect of that stuff is that I'll read it. And I'll have some sort of distance, I think. And then all of a sudden I'm in here on mic and it like pops into my head and it makes me, and all of a sudden I can imagine what like some random, oh -hmm. God, I'm doing that thing that that random person said I did. I should do it less or whatever. And and you're doing a show for one person. Yes. And someone who's not a fan. No, I know. (laughs) And the biggest lesson I ever learned, I'm so grateful for this. When we did Super Ego, we did it for years and no one was listening. And we were doing it solely because we were having so much fun and laughing so hard and making each other laugh that by the time people started listening to it, we had this body of work that people, for whatever reason, and I question it sometimes, responded to. And then it was set in stone, but it was unfiltered. We had no feedback. And we found that that's what people were coming for. So it gave us the strength and confidence to keep doing that. But in like with newer shows and newer projects, I think sometimes I'm like, forget that you should just do what you're supposed to do. Uh, it's your show. It's original. 
And I forget that sometimes. And I, I have to remember that. And it's hard to remember that. Mm-hmm. It's hard not to think like, what, what should the product be? What do people want to hear? As right. Opposed, and I'm okay if something fails. But I sometimes I just want it to fail originally, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, I would imagine if you're a consulting producer at Earwolf, part of your duties are to make something that is successful yes yeah um i'm kind of a uh, almost like a third party to all that so my note almost always is get out of their way like Mm. stop trying to make this like other podcasts you've heard and they're really good about that too i think they subscribe to that as well but that is the biggest issue i've had even with the conan development of the conan podcast there was so many cooks in the kitchen that there were people going but we can't do it that way because of this podcast, They've, they do it this way, and that's popular. And and did anyone bring up that uh, Allison Rosen already does the friendship thing? So I know. See, that, <laughs> that, well, I will say that that was decided before I even came on board. That was okay. the title was already right, picked. You're was, off the hook. The title was already sniped from you. So. <laughs> I invented friendship. I know. <laughs> before me, there were just acquaintances, there were enemies, and there were romantic entanglements, and that's all that existed. I came along, and I was like, "Hey, if you enjoy." the company of someone yeah. let's call that friendship right yeah and then now i guess we, now conan's running with it i so. know, we literally didn't have the word i know <laughs> it, was, it, it created a real thing. a real um it created so much confusion yeah because people were like am i in love with you <laughs> <laughs> if only there was a way are we just hook up buddies who don't hook up you know yeah. so I came along and really helped everyone. Well, I want to thank you for that alone. You're welcome. And for providing the name for the podcast that Conan made. Yeah. You're welcome for that, too. <laughs> um, so the reason that I asked that question of do you seek approval is I – this is navel gazy. I was talking to my therapist a while ago, and I was saying that especially after kids, but also the older I get, the more I – like. You know, I, I've spent a lot of time wondering what really are my goals anymore. You know, I know for the longest time my goal is to have my own television show, and and is that even still my goal? And is it because I want to create, or is it because I want the validation of they gave me a show? Uh, these things that I think that everyone, I'm, I'm almost like bored by the whole enterprise at this point because I think everyone in show business. Uh, goes through that thing of like, what is what is propelling me? What is driving me anymore? And is it all like what I start wonder sometimes? Like, is it all ego based? And I was just mm. talking a little bit about about that. And she said that because I feel like every therapist in this town has uh, has people in the public eye who they 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 must yeah yeah like they're they seem very. I mean, she asked me what time. One time, like, oh, which agency are you with? I was like, oh my god, are you very familiar with all of the different ones? This is why I go to therapy in Pasadena. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> like, what hospital do you work? Right. At? What? She didn't. It, it wasn't like it wasn't like the first time she met me or anything. But I mentioned something about my agent. She's like, oh, which one are you with? And I was like, I can tell you. But did you give her a script? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, but anyway, she said that most of the people who want to be, which was it? Was her words specifically want to be famous? But like, no. I mean, she just said like most of the celebrities that most celebrities have an insatiable need for approval, and you don't have that. And I was surprised that she thinks I don't have that, um, but also kind of like happy about that. I think that's wonderful news. (laughs) It was news. Yeah. Well, it made me feel like I've. It made me feel like I've grown. Yeah. I think you're right. I think when I was younger, you could probably make a case that I, I wanted to like make it somehow. But any 
chance I've had where I've kind of gotten close to it, it's been a pretty negative experience. Mm-hmm. And I think my, I measure success in my life by my personal life. And so therapy helps a lot with that. And that's when I start to feel success. Like I didn't get married till I was 43. I just wasn't great at relationships and then I met someone that I felt like I understand compromise and how to put in my part and and then that felt like wow that this is what I've been wanting a long time and feels great and so the career things as long as I'm like stable enough to be able to sustain our household or together we can is secondary to me I think Mm -hmm. yeah that being said as long as I can do the things I want to do creatively because that's a huge drive in me I'm always doing something whether it's career-based or not is another thing Mm -hmm. yeah to go back to something you were saying about um the a lot of the uh response to the podcast and stuff is on social media because i'm trying to think like what i guess the other response would be like people emailing you or people that you run into but yeah that's how i can tell how Mm -hmm. my things are doing as well um and i have lately spent a lot of time thinking this is all the time I spend on social media is toxic. I need to just stop it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how. And I'm like afraid to. Um, are you saying that in an ideal universe, you're not looking at that stuff at all? I think so. Because I, I'm like you lately more so, but for a long time now, anytime I go on there, the, the at best, I'm breaking even. Even when everything on there is good news, mm-hmm. it's just a weird people live their life differently online and it's, I see people and I'm sure I'm guilty of this doing things on there that are like, that's not the person I know. Mm -hmm. And I barely post anymore. I'm going to go off for all of August and just have a summer and see if, cause I feel the wiring in my brain changing and it makes, I actually feel sick. Mm -hmm. Like I just don't feel good physically when I stare at that screen for too long. Cause I already stare at the screen editing too much. And so I just want to break free of it and, I think the anxiety that I have comes mainly from that. And it's something I never had before in my life. And the more that that became integrated in my life, it's not even like the, the messages I was getting, but the wiring of like the dopamine of check, check, Mm -hmm. check. And it's underlying every thought. I can't focus. God, it sounds horrible, but I guess it is. (laughs) I don't know. I gotta, I gotta move on from it. Do you feel, is it addictive for you? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. But I'm also not like addicted to any one element of it. There's nothing I'm looking for. There's certainly nothing I'm finding. Mm. It's literally a like subconscious thing where I'm just reaching for it, grabbing it. It's, yes. There's nothing intellectually happening and it's kind of grossing me out a bit. Yeah, like I feel naked if I walk from one room to the other in the house without my phone. And it's not because I'm expecting a call. It's just so I can pick it up and scroll. Yeah. I've been doing a couple really things compulsive. to help. I won't put my phone in the bedroom anymore. So I go to sleep and wake up without it, which That's means smart. I can't check it, which also does help me sleep a little bit better. I've been trying whenever I have an urge to pick up my phone to wait till the third urge, <laughs> as horrible as that sounds. And then at night, like when Amanda and I settle down to, well, watch another screen, the TV, but <laughs> we still will usually throw our phones on the, like this unreachable chair and we will, literally will like throw our phone over there and it's kind of a celebration. So it's baby steps, but it does feel good. Um, this third urge thing. Yeah. Reminds me a little bit when I was quitting smoking a thousand years ago, um, which is me bragging that it's been a thousand years since I've smoked, but (laughs) I was like, I'm only going to smoke every other cigarette that I want, which quickly I was like, I've lost track. (laughs) 
and also home. all you have to do is double your desire yeah exactly like, right <laughs> it really like it lasted i i played in a band i remember i was sitting in the van and it in the course of the ride from orange county to la i realized that's not gonna work mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway this third urge thing how fast can these urges come fairly fast yeah, it's mostly in the morning when I recognize it. Uh, Amanda and I, we have coffee together most mornings, and we'll like literally read the paper. We 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 try to live as old as possible. <laughs> we're sitting in like slippers and coffee mm-hmm. in the sure. newspaper, and that's when I get the the noticeable urge. Just, just like put down my crossword and pick up my phone, and I don't. And I I'll, sometimes I'll say like I have to finish the crossword until. And which could take days, you know, <laughs> the phone. but I just try to play little games with myself, but it's also like cyclical. Cause sometimes work is so much so that I need to be mm-hmm. on there and sometimes it's not. And I know August I'm going to be like, have a lull. So I'm planning to just take the apps off my phone. I do this at Christmas too. I remember when, mm-hmm. usually when we do the, your Christmas podcast, I don't plug it because I feel bad cause I'm not on there, but yeah, you've, you've made an exception for us before. I have an or I'll, when I come back off. Yeah. So, hey, check this out. <laughs> now that it's past Christmas, check this out. <laughs> well, Paul Rust, who I just had on. Oh, I love Paul. Uh, he's great. He's great. Um, he was saying that he'll take a break, but he'll still go on to promote. And that was like a new way of yeah. thinking of it. Because to me, it's like real black or white. Like either you're off or you're on. But, this I, but then I think like, would that actually work for me to just go back on just to tweet out an episode? I don't think so. Mm. I would go right back into Yeah. It's that you got to know yourself. I think some people can quit things incrementally. Some people need to go cold turkey. I've done that before too, and I can do that, but it is a real slippery slope. Did you really win a contest? See, now I don't know what to trust regarding. Is this the toilet thing? Yes. Yes, this is true. Is this true? Okay. So you won a contest to see who could imitate the sound of a flushing toilet? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I can't believe how this thing has haunted me my whole life because this happened in like. I don't know, 95 or something. Yeah, I was, oh man. So this, this big toilet manufacturing company down in like Orange <laughs> County put out this call to all these improv groups in LA saying, can, you know, send people that can do the sound effect. And all you had to do is call this number and leave a message. And I did. And I got chosen to be in the competition. Mm-hmm. So you had to go down to this thing. And what I didn't realize was that it was a huge publicity event. So news cameras and things were there. <laughs> And I won, and uh, people always ask me to do it, and I can't because you like you. It's sp- I used water and spilled it everywhere, okay. and it's not very good. And it was more my setup; like I was just the only person that could kind of like deliver something because there was just a lot of strange <laughs> people in this thing. And then I won, and then I hosted it for like ten years after, or five years, I don't remember. <laughs> but it was all over the news and the newspapers, and I was like the toilet guy, like Leno's people called wow they pre-interviewed me and i think they saw that i was just kind of like not a weirdo and i think they wanted a weirdo Mm, yeah i mean maybe i'm a bit weird but they wanted i think they wanted a real oddity and so they didn't put me on but i did a bunch of radio for it and it was like so strange yeah (laughs) i don't know i that's a badge of dishonor that i carry with me I think it's. I think you got to embrace it. Did you get yeah. a toilet or anything? I did get a trophy. Yeah, it was a trophy with a golden toilet on top, and then you open the lid of the toilet, it makes a flushing sound. Yeah, I'm sure I have it somewhere. Still, I don't know where. <laughs> Surprised you don't have it on display. I know, and I think 
I think Mark McConville might have won it too because then afterwards I was just like to all my friends like call this thing trial because there was a cash prize I won like fifteen hundred dollars or something that's cool and so I was always telling my friends after like get on this thing I'll see if I can get you to win or whatever I don't want to <laughs> say it was fixed but yeah. I've been to Gorley's house too when, as soon as you open the door you see there that it is. <laughs> it's huge <laughs> first thing. I want to tell you guys about Frank and Oak. I'm always looking to discover those key pieces of clothing that are versatile, comfortable, and stylish. And on top of that, I've been trying to find clothes that don't have a huge impact on the environment. But shopping for myself can be such a pain. I personally hate shopping. I'm sorry. I liked it when I was younger. Or I felt like I'm supposed to like it. And uh, I've now really settled into who I am today, which is someone who truly does not want to have to go to a store. That's why I love Frank and Oak. Uh, I love the style plan by Frank and Oak. Um, it's, it's super easy. You select the style plan. You answer, answer some questions about uh, your style and then also about specifically what you're looking for, if there's certain items of clothing you're looking for. And then you get an email saying you can review your subscription box and they have like a bunch of different options and then you select which ones you want. You can decide to skip a month. Uh, it's great. And it's clothing for men and women curated by a combination of amazing stylists and AI. The process is so simple. Uh, you can take seven days to decide what you love and send back what you don't. Uh, it's, it's a subscription with plenty of flexibility. Like I mentioned, you can uh, pause your subscription, skip a month, or cancel anytime. Shipping and returns are always free. Discover what your wardrobe has been missing. Go to frankandoak.com slash Allison and get $25 off your first subscription box and try Style Plan by Frank and Oak completely risk-free. That's frankandoak.com slash Allison for $20 off your first subscription box. frankandoak.com slash Allison. I need to talk to you guys about the real, real. Uh, I actually just earlier today was doing another podcast and I mentioned the real, real. And my guest uh, said that she is very familiar with this website and she goes there and covets the items and puts them in her cart and decides when to buy them all the time. Uh, the real, real has iconic luxury items at unreal values. Real, real is the leading reseller of authenticated luxury from top designers. Shop from designers like Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Rolex, Cartier, and hundreds more at up to 90% off retail. I was looking earlier today and I was looking at these beautiful engagement rings, all of which would retail at a price that is way, way more than uh, someone like me could spend. However, on there, they're like a little more affordable, although I was looking at ones that are still not affordable for me, but maybe you could get them. <laughs> New arrivals come in daily and every single item is authenticated by the Real Real's team of experts. In fact, the Real Real employs over 100 brand authenticators, gemologists, horologists, and art curators from around the globe who inspect thousands of items each day to ensure that every item is 100% authentic. Shop online or visit one of their original stores in Soho or West Hollywood or their newest location at 870 Madison Avenue in New York. You may also visit one of their luxury consignment offices in Chicago, Dallas, Miami, San Francisco, and Washington, D.C. In-store new customers receive an automatic $25 off at checkout. Shop in-store online or download the app and get 20% off select items with the promo code REAL. That's the real real. So the real real. Promo code REAL for 20% off select items. Um, okay, let's take some questions that listeners uh submitted 
Uh, so I'm on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go. And there's all sorts of behind the scenes uh, stuff and bonus content. And uh, I do a live stream every month. And you can submit questions as one of the perks. But one of the many. There's many. If that one doesn't excite you, go there for other exciting ones. But anyway, here's some, some uh, questions that people sent in on Patreon. And we have a little song. They send them in, they're wondering how you have been So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans Lovely Okay, Whitney C. says Favorite and least favorite teachers in high school and why? My favorite was my theater teacher in high school who just passed away Aww. Like uh, two weeks ago and he was the sweetest, funniest man. He was the most, I mean, this is the biggest compliment. He was the laziest guy. So he just let us do improv every day, Mr. Byers. And he had a tick because everybody would talk too much in his class. So when he talked to you one-on-one, -on -one, he was still shushing you like he would the <laughs> class. So you'd be like, hi, Mr. Byers. Oh, Matt. Shh, uh, uh, shh, uh, I think we're going to shh, uh, shh, do Othello. Uh, shh, shh, shh. And it was lovely. And he was this super tall, joyous guy. I'm, rest in peace. I love that man. Worst teacher? Oh. Hmm. Hmm. Algebra. But it was, he wasn't a great teacher. They called him Snake Eyes Ivy because he was kind of a perv. But <laughs> that subject alone, just everything was just in a confluence against me there. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Math and perviness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love them both separately. You know? <laughs> right. But combine yeah, them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's weird how teachers perviness was just an accepted thing back in the day. I was yeah. thinking our, uh, our Spanish teacher who he, he had us all over to his house for paella. He was a nice guy, but he had this habit of, if you were talking to him, he'd like hold your elbow but just the girls, he just kind of like reach out here. I'm going to do it to Tony. I'm going to, um, <laughs> is that okay? Sure. He would just like kind of grip you right there when he was talking to you, like just hands on yeah, your elbow. It's just, weird. there's something weird about yeah, it. And then certainly. I just remember, um, in Spanish, he was like just going around the room asking questions and mostly like just about your weekend and stuff. And there's this one girl who was just like, um, did you kiss your boyfriend over the weekend? Oh my God. <laughs> And I remember specifically, and this was way before me too, thinking, what? That's weird. Yeah. Jesus, that, like my having to kiss on stage was, yeah. things were crazy back then. They really were. <laughs> All right. We kind of answered this one a bit, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Leanne Ward says, I was first introduced to Matt thanks to hearing him on Tony's, I know, actually, I'm going to back up and say, Tony, I feel weird that I gripped your elbow. I'm sorry. Oh, I don't care. I feel weird though. What about if I do it? Now we're talking. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've known that longer. So yeah. yeah okay. Um, I think I just feel weird because it was in the context of like this teacher did this creepy thing that was a little bit like violating. Here, Tony, <laughs> let me show you. <laughs> okay. Leanne Ward says I was first introduced to Matt thanks to hearing him on Tony's Felice Navi Pod podcast when he righted the wrong of Tony not having yes. a Christmas tree despite being Mr. Christmas, which I completely understand since I had a gap of six years of not having a tree, even though I love Christmas. I have enjoyed all of his Felice Navi Pod appearances, so I was pleasantly surprised when I heard him on Conan O'Brien's podcast as Conan's producer. How did he get that job? That part we've covered. Yeah. And what is it like to work for? with conan 
which we covered a little bit, but I feel like there's more. Yeah, well, it's been really a surprise and very fun to be part of the show now because we, Sona, his assistant, Conan, and myself are in the intro and the final third act segment. And it's usually Sona and I teamed up against Conan, which she's unbelievable. I love her so much. I love Conan, too. And I know you're listening, Conan. You're not going to get full full celebration for me because that's the thing we do. But Sona, she's amazing. And without her, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't because she's like, he's a heavy hitter, you know? And so what does that mean? Well, he's just like when, when you're trading barbs, he will not lose. And <laughs> even if it means playing dirty. And I, there's a point where I like, I don't, I like to play, but I don't have the drive to win at any cost, mm-hmm. you know? So, well, that's probably wise given that he's, Sort of, he's the boss, right? He, he is the boss, and he's way better at that than I will ever be. Um, I, and I, so it's a really interesting tightrope, you know, to walk comedically, especially knowing when. Like, I'm just trying to figure out half the time when it's joking and when it's not. You know, could you hurt his feelings? And let me- yeah, yeah, he's okay, sensitive. Yeah, <laughs> about what? Everything. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Do you feel like you've ever crossed the line? I if I have I don't know I don't think so because he hits so hard I just assume like everything's fair game but then now that I think about it those people that usually hit pretty hard are the ones that usually but I'm I don't want to like make such a big deal of it to think that I've ever hurt his feelings I don't really has don't he think. hurt your feelings um I wouldn't say he's hurt my feelings he's made me feel awkward because especially early on I didn't know where the line was mm-hmm. and with when you're like a kind of a supporting role on someone else's show, I don't want to be the person going over the line. That's kind of his job. So I was kind of just waiting for guideposts. And there have been a couple times where I've left going, I don't know where we were supposed to go with that. So, right. Yeah. It's a real interesting experience. That's for sure. I'm learning a lot from it. And, uh, yeah. And, and it is funny how I'll just leave it at that. It's, it's really a good experience. Okay, Seth Eisenberg, he wanted to know about Eyes Wide Shut, what that experience was like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just rewind a little bit, Seth. (laughs) Tiffany Fuller. He has an MFA, which I think is interesting for an artist, as essentially unnecessary as far as I know or know. Does that reflect his seriousness towards art as a business? He has a very... He's had a very prolific career. In fact, was much of that premeditated or is it peripatetic like so much of acting, comedy, <laughs> art? There's a lot of big words in here. Oh, my God. Is it par- Let me think. I know what peripatetic means. I think of that as a, as a theatrical term. Peripatia. The, the moving scenery pieces. What, am I losing Parap- it? No, no. And par- I think a peripatetic as like... Someone who's constantly on the move, I guess constantly that's walking, the same like ambulatory thing. or yeah. something. Yeah. So traveling from place to place is what the definition says. But can you Google peripatia? Because this is—I haven't taught theater history in a long time, but this is what I remember it as. Uh, whoops, sorry, misspelled. Like maybe put in theater too and see if that brings up anything. Uh, sudden reversal of fortune or that's change what in is. circumstances. Yes. yes. Especially in reference to a fictional narrative. Okay. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. God. So like peripatia would be like something, reversal a component of, of a good story. Yeah. Yeah. Point of no return, reversal of fortune. That kind right. Of thing. Okay. 
I've never heard that term. I like that. I also did not know that anti-penultimate means third to last. (laughs) Yes. I caught shit because I used the word penultimate on this podcast. And people were like, what does that mean? I said it means second to last. But I had no idea third to last had a name. And I heard you use ersatz earlier. I did. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I guess the question is, uh, does your MFA reflect your seriousness towards art as a business? I don't think so. Cause it's just acting and directing. And like I said, I kind of did it cause I wasn't ready to not be in college, but I'm glad I did because then I immediately got a job teaching college at right out of school for the most part. And that sustained me for the many years it took me to be able to do work that allowed me to quit teaching. <laughs> I still teach online um, once a semester just to kind of, I guess it's just like keeping the security of another job or something, but I almost work entirely in podcasting now. It's crazy. What's the experience of teaching online like? Not great. Um, it's <laughs> great for me selfishly because uh, everything's automated and you roll the class from one semester over to the next. I find I'm only answering emails like technical questions about how the site works. Mm. People rarely want to engage about theater. It's mostly people who have like nine to five jobs and you just need to get the unit. So they read, take the tests. I grade one set of papers. It's crazy how little work it is for me. Do you, oh, see, are you doing lectures online? No. Oh, because so me picturing you with a headset, that's not happening. None of it. No, you're just it's just quite correspond by correspondence. Yeah. And very little of that. It's mostly through the interface of the system. Mm. So they're reading the text, taking automated quizzes. It gets graded by itself. Um, They probably would only know of me just if they see my name there and Google me like they wouldn't otherwise even know what I look like. Right. It's really strange. They yeah. Google you. They're in for, well, if they're going to think you're an eyes wide shut, first of all. <laughs> oh, great. The toilet teacher guy. probably grabbed me by the elbow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then would you say most of your career, has your career been premeditated or? Not at all. No, I, I've never had a grand plan. Except when I was younger, I think I probably like everyone who was a teenager in our field wanted to be like on Saturday Night Live or something. But then as soon as I got out of college, no, because I kind of like, I, I have too many interests. So I would never double down on one thing. And then luckily some one of one of those interests has been enough to sustain me as time goes on. And so now I've reconciled with the fact that my career is this hodgepodge of things and that's nice. And it also allows some free time. And mm-hmm. so I'm really grateful for that. And I think that's what I just want it to be, I guess. Yeah. Do you listen to podcasts? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I like outside do. of your job? Yeah. All the time. Well, not all the time, but I do. I listen to a lot of film I was listening to a lot of political podcasts, but then even that got to be, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I was really searching for just journalistic political podcasts. Not, I'm very left leaning, but even the left leaning ones were a little too much. Like I'm in a bubble, like it's broadening my brain. So I do that. I listen to film. I listen to science stuff. I listen to, well, Amanda and I would go through some true crime phases where we'd actually put on a podcast and sit in our chairs like old people at a radio. <laughs> and that, I loved that experience. Like listening to a podcast with another person is so at odds with what it is today. So that was really fun. And I would, I wish we'd do that more because it also gets you away from the TV. And right. I loved that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's take some questions that people sent in on Twitter. And I'm just going to say I received too many to do all of them. Um, so we're just going to do some. Okay. Okay, Thomas would like to know, does he organize his closet by y- the year the clothes were manufactured or by color? 
and then he uh, included Conan and mm. Team Coco in this oh, tweet. So yeah. is this a, this is a reference yeah. to something? I'm this assuming is, this is one of the things Conan gets on me for is he thinks I'm a hipster. <laughs> <laughs> so look at me. Would you call me a hipster? No. No. Is it because your glasses? I don't know. I had a beard when I first started working oh, for him, and yeah, sometimes I'll wear like a nice button-up shirt or something. I mean, I do like clothes, and I like dressing the way I dress, but it's not something I think of when I think of me. I don't put thought into it. I go to the closet, and I go, that looks good for today. So, But Conan has mythologized this into that I'm like this fedora-wearing hipster with, you know, like artisanal watches and things like that. So that is, and that's the, the like crazy thing about being this producer on Conan is the world of the internet has now opened up to a whole new planet. And all these people have found me and they comment on most of my Instagrams. They're like, where's your beard, hipster? And it's just like... <laughs> It's like that. I'm used to the nice world of podcasting. So you get a lot of the Conan fans that are very snarky. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of live a little bit more in the um, kinder, gentler space. So <laughs> that's what I was trying to say with Conan is that he has a snark humor that I don't necessarily have unless I'm playing a character. But in real life, it's not my language I normally speak. So it's been weird learning that language of having to defend myself in a snarky way. Yeah. And so I have varying degrees of comfort with it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Alana Stevens, have you taken any summer trips on the down Easter Alexa? I also don't get <laughs> this that. This is another <laughs> reference to pistol shrimps radio, which was a podcast I did with Mark McConville, where we would go to my wife's rec league basketball games and call the play by play, even though I don't know anything about sports. And so at one point I just was just singing the praises of that song and it became a running thing where just that song was always a subject of that <laughs> podcast. So yeah, I love it. And I sing it whenever I can. <laughs> Okay, Ground Biff wants to know. <laughs> Do you know this person? I like that name. I'd like to know him. Yeah. Or her. Uh, which is worse, die another day or tomorrow never dies? Well, I think most people would say die another day, but I think tomorrow never dies is worse because it commits the big sin of mediocrity where at least die another day just goes down in flames. Mm. It's, a, it's a train wreck and I love it. Kurt Pfizer, which came first, comedy or teaching? Uh, comedy came first as in my life but teaching came first as a real job and then comedy i was always doing it on the side getting paid for it here and there but never sustainably until i don't know after i stopped teaching 10 years or so ago did you answer how you got into comedy how your love of comedy came about or did i cut yeah, you off the improv and no no oh, okay. in high school and comedy sports yeah. right okay and, who and growing a foot right were there who were the comedians that you were were into um, if there were comedians you were into. Well, I was really big into Monty Python, Johnny Carson even. I mean, he's even a bit like pre my time, but his tail end stuff. But I would watch these reruns of his characters a lot. Marx Brothers. Um, those, are the, those are the main ones, yeah. The absurd ones. I like the absurdity. Uh, Angry, S-E, no, Angry Rose says, when are we going to get a book of his artwork and or a book of his cat? <laughs> Well, I could just draw my cat a bunch of times and kill two birds <laughs> with one stone. Uh, God, I don't know. I've never thought about doing a book. I just I have a hard time thinking the market's out there. But my cat, I bet that would sell a lot. She is gorgeous, and she knows it, and she's a real problem. She's a real asshole. Uh, I love her to death. She's just so vocal and so pushy and so just 
she's a menace. That's what we call our dog, Wendy. Really? Yeah, she's yeah. A, we literally call her a menace. <laughs> yeah. What in what ways is uh, Margot a menace? Well, she just if she just exists only for us to give her food, so she's obsessed. Yeah, and we have the same pet. We may. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have a fat dog. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so prior to her, she has an automated feeder that feeds her at like five thirty, and so around four p.m. she's just meowing at us, like, "Where is this thing? Where mm-hmm. is it? Let's go!" And she's incessant. She won't stop. Will she bug you if you're eating? Yeah, oh yeah, she. We we have to lock her in a room when we eat. We sometimes create Wendy, and I oh, feel bad. I know I hate it. It's horrible, yeah. and I'm the first. Like Amanda puts her away, and I'm always the one that lets her out, and I'm always kind of like she knows me as her liberator. <laughs> <laughs> she knows Amanda as her captor, and she sleeps with me. She sleeps on me usually, so we we have a oh. quite a tight bond. I mean, I'm. I'm enmeshed with that cat in unhealthy emotional ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking because Wendy acts like she's starving all the time, yeah. even though she's got like, let's see, at least she probably has like 10 to 13 pounds to lose. And she's only like 27 pounds. So she oh, should yeah. be like 17 pounds. Yeah. Um, but she, anytime there's food around her and she doesn't get it, she acts like it's like causing her intense I know, distress. I know. And I was thinking, is this some like evolutionary glitch, or is it a glitch, or is it an evol- is it a survival thing? I don't know what it is, but something's off. Yeah, something's I off with the her. Same problem. She was like an outside cat and her food was put indoors with these huge dogs. So I think she's, she was born scrappy where Mm -hmm. she just had to fight for her food. But with us, she's never had to fight with food and she's never learned the difference. And I think people are surprised because they see her online and she's pretty roundish, but she's actually fairly small as a cat. She's just plump. Like she's a plus size cat, right? but she's just, compact at the same time it's weird you, you know what i'm saying you've seen her yeah i mean she's very fluffy though yeah too, that's which true like which compounds it yeah is yeah. that her fur though it's, like does she well, actually have does she, she actually has fat okay and she has weight the fluff on top of it got is it really yeah pushing the limit well so what does she weigh <laughs> at her worst i'm not trying to fat no, shame her no. cap what does she weigh and what should she weigh her. Well, she at her worst, she was over fourteen pounds, and like I said, she's like a small mm-hmm. um, structure, right? So now I think we've got her a little over twelve because we've got her on an automated feeder, so we've got her to almost to where she needs to be. But, That's good, but she won't leave us alone if there's a yeah. meal. She's on the table. She's she's like <laughs> one New Year's Amanda and I stayed in, and she made really nice steaks, like twenty dollar steaks, and I she plated the food and put it on the table. I went for a second to stand up. Margot grabbed the entire heavy <laughs> steak, drafted it off the table, took it under the chair, and just like, just she can put so much weight in her jaw if it comes to food. Mm-hmm. And it happened before anyone could see it. And Amanda just like grabbed her and just wrenched the steak from her mouth. And Aww. I still ate it, but it was, you know, she's crazy. She'll take a whole boulder of mozzarella and walk away with it. It's the insane. way you said Amanda grabbed her and took the steak out of her mouth makes, I think that you feel bad that that happened for Margot. I'm definitely the softy yeah. in the relationship. And I know if we have kids, it's probably going to be the case too. Like I, there are certain things where I'll be the disciplinarian, but on the whole, like I don't have the heart to like, her, and, and Amanda's like a, a girl. She picks up Margo and like wants to play with her like a little girl where she's like tossing her around mm-hmm. and, and Margo's going crazy. And I'm like, all you have to do is just softly and pet her under here. And like, I, I look at it as a science. And so she does come to me more because I'm not like holding her captive. <laughs> I let <laughs> right. her come to me. For me, it's always like, what's the, what's the way to, what's the system here? Mm-hmm. And Am- Amanda's just like, ah, I want to your fluffy, I want to squeeze you. you know? <laughs> yeah. Yes, my uh, 
No, I'm not going to tell that story. <laughs> I was going to tell a story. Um, okay. Uh, Patrick Butte says, ask him when Bananas for Bonanza is becoming a regular podcast. I don't know that I'm um, uh, allowed to say, but I can say that uh, may well, I can't say anything is all I can't say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. <You're> <laughs> we'll, we'll Read be planning into that our, whatever you okay. will. Gleason says, and we already know some of this, but we don't know the rest of it. Ask him how he got involved as producer of Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Curious about how that developed and if that's why he quote unquote back burnered some of his other podcasts. No, that was strictly coincidental. I wound down. I was there too because I just felt like it had run its run and I didn't feel like I was going to bring much more to it as getting repetitive and I always like to try to keep my projects fun because I think I do the best. Who doesn't do the best work when they're enjoying yeah. it? And, um, and then Pistol Shrimp, same thing. I, I, that has been one of the most fun experiences of my life. But we had done it for five or so years, and so it was just time. But Mark and I are already developing a spiritual sequel to that podcast. Ooh. That um, It's not sports-related, but in style and tone, it's very related. So we'll see if that happens. I hope it does. We talked about it a lot this weekend. Because, I, I mean, this heart of that podcast, I really want to keep going. But just going to a structured game every week actually became a little bit unsustainable. Um, how many podcasts do you record a week? Well, it depends. I mean, at a height, God, of my own or like with as a guest or like in general, how many podcasts are, uh, comprise your week? Probably three of my own on average. And then. I don't know. I, I, I also like I go off social media. Sometimes I take a break from being guests on podcasts because it just gets a little too frequent sometimes. So maybe one or two a week, um, but give or take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Kev Ferrara says, please ask him about growing up with the hilarious improviser Jeff B. Davis. What kind of jokes or riffing did they do? Who was funnier? What were the differences in humor? How come they don't improv much together anymore? Oh, well, we just did uh, a week ago. We're recording new Super Ego, and he came on and did a Super Ego episode and did an old classic Roy Cabra sketch, which is one of his, which is really funny. In fact, I was editing it right before I came over here. Um, Yeah, we met in seventh grade when he came to my school, and he was a big deal because he was in the Mad Balls commercial and did an episode (laughs) of Highway to Heaven where he was the little, like, geek genius that went to college as a 12-year-old. And he was, man, everybody was like, wow, Jeff Davis. And we were were really close friends and did a lot of, like, joking. I mean, we were inseparable. Then we had a bit of a falling out. Neither of us remember what that was in high school. And then we got uh, into improv together in comedy sports. And then we both ended up in comedy sports together. And then, like, we see each other various times through, like, doing improv or just friends and stuff. And he's great. Is comedy sports... Is that short form improv? Yeah, very gimmicky, super short, like games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you do long form? Imp- well, I yeah. guess your, a lot of your podcasts are, but like, do you, have, do, you do like the heralds and I don't the do the herald stuff, but yeah, I really love long form just as much. And we actually, because Super Ego itself is kind of like short form improv, but we've developed a show that we take on the road now called Forgotten Classics, where we find a book that none of us have read and we improvise what we think it should be in about an hour or so. We'll get like the first line, the last line, and the list of characters and then do the show. Um, I think we should take, we have more questions. Okay. I think we should take them in a special, but not super long. So don't worry. Patreon bonus episode. Right. Okay. Um, Matt Gorley, thank you so much for coming on. 
Uh, it was great getting to know you and uh, finding out more about the thousands of things you do. I still feel like we've barely scratched the surface. I mean, we didn't talk about the fact that you were a Volkswagen spokesperson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. So we're gonna we'll save that for part two. Okay. Um, let them let them know where they can find you. Plug anything you'd like them to know about. You can find me basically at all things Matt Gorley, G O U R L E Y, social media, and then I have a website where you can kind of see some like listen to podcasts, artwork, uh, stuff like that, music, whatever. It's all there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tony. Where do we find you? I'm at Tony Thaxton on Twitter and Instagram. And please check out my new podcast, Bizarre Albums. Oh, God, I've heard it. It's so good. I can't wait to hear it. Thank you. Matt was very nice. I sent him a, uh, got some, some feedback from him before uh, releasing, and he was very helpful and nice. So yeah, it's wonderful. Really good. Yeah. And I have another podcast. In fact, you probably heard the music and a promo for it at the beginning of this one. Although I'm feeling like maybe I shouldn't do that on the beginning of every Monday show. This is a conversation to have off mic, but I'm just saying maybe maybe I should change it up. Um, but anyway, uh, Childish. It's the parenting podcast that I do with Greg Fitzsimmons. Check that one out. If you like what you're hearing so, regarding this podcast and that one, subscribe, download, rate, comment, all those things that people tell you to do, do those. It's, it's vital. Tell your friends. Uh, I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Allison Rosen. Go to my website, AllisonRosen, uh, com for more. Thank you again. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? We had a good time.